It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 186 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Joshua Fabia to my Diego Sanchez, the Layla and Lee, maybe Machado to my Ian Gary, Nicholas Jonathan Braccia, not the second, but the third. Nick, it's good to be on with you. We're going to break down UFC 2, I think it's 96 or something. It's it's a, a, a up there, that number. We're going to break down the card, Nick, and it's main evented by Kobe Covington as he goes for his eighth challenge in a row for the welterweight title this time against Leon <laughs> Rockalai Edwards. Uh, Nick. Oh, gosh. I have a question. If her name, Ian Machado Gary's wife's name, if it's Layla Ann Lee, then whose fucking last name did he take, Nick? Did he take his? Did he take her father's last name? Is that what happened? Bitch doesn't even list it as one of her names, but he took her name, and her name doesn't have the word Gary in it. I don't know. Maybe she had an extra name. I was. I, I don't know. Nick, her name is listed as Layla Ann Lee. She doesn't even have Gary think- in her name, but he took her last name. Is the lamest, most boring shit talk MMA gossip thing ever. No, here's, here's, here's the thing. Been, I, I think you know, I think there's some shit that's been. Mm-hmm. It's just this year. It's just been like the the meta narratives have been really lousy. Yeah, probably. I'd have to look at a list of them to really decide on this. Um, but here's the thing: there's something weird there. Like it feels a little bit icky. There's. You know, there's there's just ickiness there. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there's. It, mm-hmm. I don't know what's. I don't it know feels what's that way a little like, bit. I don't like this. This Ian Gary guy seems like a dick, but like, so what? His slightly older, super attractive Brazilian wife like wrote a book a few years ago that kind of outlines how to how to score an athlete. Like, and then so, Nick, like, like ten so years boring. later, ten years later or something like that, she succeeds in scoring an athlete. But anyway, I'm, I'm not worried so much about the book. I haven't read the book. I'm sure it was written in jest. Yeah. But just the fact that this has been on her mind for this many years, the fact that there's dozens of pictures of her with different athletes, particularly UFC fighters, and they're not pictures like, hey, can I take a snap of picture as a fan? They're pictures like kind of intimate, like the way that the way that they're kind of on each other, her and these male fi- these so, different male yeah, fighters over there. Just, they're mostly stars. They're mostly big names. And suddenly she's got this young cares? buck who's on his way up. Um, and she is significantly older than him, Nick. Not slightly older. She is about his about 50% older than he is. Maybe 40% at least, I would think, right? She's notably older than this kid. Um, yeah, I think she's about 50% older than he is. Maybe a little bit short of that. And... And good for both of them. Sure, sure, sure. But, but he takes her last name and that's okay. Right. But she doesn't take his. And it's not even her last name. This is so not interesting. Here's what's interesting. What effect is her running his career having on him? Right. What effect did Joshua Fabia running Diego Sanchez's career have on Diego Sanchez? This is now Diego Sanchez, you know, wasn't at the prime of his career as a budding prospect who seems to have all the potential in the world. Um, and he wasn't, you know, fighting somebody who Vincente, look at, let's face it, he looks like he's 
six steps behind nowadays, right? So there, there's benefits to this matchup for him, but man, like, there's some... It feels a little bit icky with what's going on there with some of the shit that she said and he said. Um, you know, and, and I think I think there's something to the storyline. Do I think that, like, some of the stuff that people are saying is legit? No. And I know I've repeated some of it, but I just feel like the combination of factors are a little bit weird. The book I'm not so concerned with. It's not the book. It's it's the age difference. It's, I... it's her proximity to UFC athletes throughout her career. Like, it kind of feels like she's been a groupie. I may be way off the mark, and I may be an idiot for even suggesting it on this podcast, but it feels like she is not absolutely I mean, selflessly intentioned. It's a business, man. This yeah, is, I hear this that. Is one slip up from a, this is one step up from a prison yard. Like, no, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel that. I, feel that. I, I don't – I just uh, – I'm more interested in um, Song Keenan, Keenan Song's, like, the, you know, dropping him. Like, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not convinced he – I do think Luke is slow now, but I'm he's not he's, he's always been gonna, slow. But Luke is also not taking isn't gonna punches get the same way. Yeah, no. It, yeah, it, listen, it's a, it's a, it's a possibility. A, there's a couple of favorable matchups because they're trying to build stars and they're not having yeah. much luck. But yeah, this is I mean, not, l- listen. Um, so, so far, Pimblet and and uh, Machado Gary have walked away with a win in every UFC start. Like, and you know increasingly difficult competition. Pimblin hasn't been around for that long, but increasingly increasingly different co- uh, difficult competition. I, I think that the UFC is using the timing of their current matchups. If the UFC matched up, um, you know, Ida machado Gara with Vincente Luque from three years ago, I mean, you know, you know, it's a different matchup on paper. Yeah. Right? If, if this you- is a... This is a, pro- a prospect serger card. They're trying to yeah. make at least three or four You're right, Chef Cut with Thompson as on, well, yeah. On the... Yeah, and like, who knows how that one's gonna play out? Patty, Shavkat, Gary, Bryce Mitchell. Yeah. Um, all, fa- all, you know, even trying to get Cody back in there. All favorable matchups against, generally speaking, against people old, considerably older. Yeah, and no, more, that, and with a lot more, and with a lot more miles on them. And I, that kind of matchmaking sort of annoys me. There's too much of it on this card because they know that Colby's gonna bring the cash. Does he? I wonder if he brings the cash. I know controversy oh, I know that. I think Colby. Sells, I think. Yeah. I think. That, I think that. I think that Colby brings. Um, yes, I think that Colby brings. Uh, like he doesn't bring casuals like Conor McGregor, but he brings more casuals than the average defender. Yeah. yeah, I would. I would. I would guess so. There's steam to it, and I mean, besides the UFC liking him for his politics and 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 for that sort of thing, the fact that he's known as a really nice guy, Colby is. Um, and you're right. It's the fact that he can make some noise. He'll say some absolutely ridiculous, bonkers pro wrestling level shit, and like not even good pro wrestling level. Not you know, like, Trump. Mm-hmm. Trump may be there. Yeah, you and know, and Trump, you know what? Trump, He's. You know, like, this is one of the few instances in which they're promoting him being there. He said he was going to be there. He said he was going to go there to support oh, Colby Covington. Um, yeah. So in, in many ways, makes it a hometown game for Colby. In many ways, the fact that the his opponents from a different country, the fact that the MMA community loves them some Trump and and on paper, mostly agree with Colby's politics and his views, right? Like there's something to this being kind of a home game for the challenger, which is kind of rarely the case. Anyway, we're going to dive into all of that, but we're going to dive into our MMA geeks draft in which each of us take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card, a regular pick, uh, a favorite or an even odds pick is worth one point a piece. If it works out for you, right? If you pick an underdog of plus 150 to plus 249, um, successfully, you get two points for that one. If you pick an underdog of plus 250 or above, and that dog comes through for you, you get three points. And Nikolai, I think you're only four points behind. We're not that wide apart. We are nearing the end here. We're, we've got, I think, an event or two, so you've got to make some ground up. I'm guessing you're going to be picking, uh, yeah, picking underdogs have... left and right, Nikolai. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with one. I love Shavkat Rachmanov, um, and but I do I if he fights Steve, Stephen Thompson has um, you know one main weakness is that he's really bad at getting up, mm-hmm. and Shavkat has not shown that he 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 fights like a prize fighter. He fights like someone who wants to be entertaining. He's incredible to watch, but man, did he take some shots against Chop Neal. Um, and he played into Neal's, you know, game plan, like, strengths a bunch. I don't think Shavkat Ramanov is going to start shooting single legs up against the cage in this fight. I think I think he is going to get into a striking battle with Stephen Thompson. And Thompson's not as, as quick as he used to be, but he can still land, and he only has to land once. Um... If Shavkat is as reckless as he was against Neil, who really only who largely fights with with two weapons, right? He's primarily a boxer. Stephen Thompson's still crafty. Stephen Thompson still has got a sick really head kick, counters. But, but go on. He does not but many he, weapons. Did he throw it that much again? Um, maybe not. Um, so, yes, I think Shavkat's probably going to win this fight, but plus four seventy five. Jeez. That's a what? That's a three. What, again, yeah, minus six fifty. He's you know, Shavkat's at minus six fifty. Minus minus seven twenty. Stephen Thompson's man. not that. Stephen Thompson's not is in the bag as Luke or or Ferguson, in my opinion. If if Shavkat was a wrestler, I would be. I would say he's you know he's fucked. But I don't I don't see him doing a like fighting a top game fight. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to take Stephen Thompson for is that plus three or plus four. That's plus three. There's no such thing as plus four, Nikolai. Trying to finagle stuff here. Get out of here. Well, I asked a, I asked a question. Get out of so, here. Yeah, I got I got Stephen Thompson at, at plus four. Nikolai, I commend you for making this move. This is the kind of move you got to be motherfucking making if you're ever going to have a shot at beating your boy Stanislav. Nikolai. Good for you. Um, I had you, I had you beat, and then we did the stupid Nikolai, 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 Nikolai. You got to get one championship title before you act like you've been champion, kid. You can't win a round or two and act like you've been champion. You're not Tail Sonnen. You're not Kobe Covington. You can't claim to have been undefeated. You are. Come, Nikolai, don't get me started. Now, Nick, here's the thing about this matchup. Shavkatik Rachmanov, he is a pretty serious prospect, in my opinion, in just about every way. His finish rate is incredible. He is offensively gifted. He can land bombs from everywhere. He's pretty good, uh, pretty technical. He can get landed on by a fast offensive striker, as you alluded to um, in his fight over Joff Neal, right? That was a war, but he outcrafted. He he basically made Joff Neal quit, right? Something that Stephen Thompson, who, by the way, also dominated Joff Neal, Um there's the argument to be made that that is a factor, right? The fact that Stephen Thompson was in control the entire time, but Shafkat had a very close fight with him. Shafkat did outwill him, though. Shafkat is incredibly durable. He's young in his career. That's not going to stick around forever. But he's incredibly fucking durable, Nick. And there's rumors, Nick, that Ian Gary's been knocked out in in uh, in the gym. And I happen to think that it was probably Shafkat Rahmanov who knocked his block off, who knocked him out. Now, is that is that... As impressive as beating Stephen Thompson? Fuck no. Stephen Thompson's fucking... He's, he's one of the best of all time at welterweight who's never held the title. Um, Stephen Thompson... Who, ha- who, mm-hmm. has beat, who, has beat, who has beat Thompson? I mean, except for Pettis. But who has beat Thompson 
that isn't a really, really strong wrestler. Rachmanov's two for 12 in his career, in his UFC career takedown attempts. And who were the, who were those takedowns scored against is part of my question. Because I'll be honest with you, Thompson, you know, it increasingly takes a less skilled wrestler to take him down. Thompson's talked about how he doesn't want to fight grapplers anymore, but he sees this as the opportunity to beat what he thinks is a striker. Do you remember what Rachmanov did to, to uh, Neil Magny? He grounded yes. him and he dominated him. Entirely one side dominated him on the ground. Yeah, Magny's not, but Magny's isn't very strong physically, and that happens to him. But That's he's, true. Ma, you know, Magny. Magny is, doesn't get he, ragdolled by shitty grapplers though. Ma, he gets ragdolled by elite grapplers. Uh, I think Mag, I think he gets ragdolled by average grapplers at this point. But well, who? Uh, um, and, and listen, we can get into the nuances and the and the, and the details here, right? But but. What non-elite grapplers dominated Neil Magny? Look at his record quickly. I'm going to do so as well. What non-elite grappler, and I mean on the ground, I'm not saying he hasn't been outstruck, right? But what non-elite grapplers dominated him? Gilbert Burns dominated him. Shafkat dominated him. Um, Joaquin Silva dominated him in a grappling match. Kiesa, I mean, Kiesa's a little bit concerning, to be quite frank with you. Kiesa's a great point in your favor, to be honest with you. Um, Anyway. Rafael Asanios is not... He's, an, he's a great MMA grappler. Let, let, let's put it that way. Here's the thing. I think that Shafkatik is going to go for takedowns. I think that Steven Thompson is susceptible to those takedowns. If Shafkat chooses the route of, I'm just going to wade forward with offense and take your shots on the way in, he's probably going to have serious trouble. It's going to be a war. But Steven Thompson at age 40-something, is he going to be able to out-attrition out Rachmanov, who is relentless, who will never stop coming forward, who will never stop throwing, even if he can't get takedowns. Stephen Thompson will have to worry about takedowns the entire fight. That's going to be a factor. I know that Stephen Thompson, listen, I've picked him in many matchups, including against uh, against Kevin Holland. In many matchups in which on paper he was the dog or, or he was supposed to not do so well, every aggressive opponent that he faces standing, he beats, no matter how good they are. Aggressively striking at Stephen Thompson is a bad idea. If you're going to be on the back foot, like Tyron Woodley, like Anthony Pettis, you can knock him out. In fact, both those guys dropped him as they had their backs to the cage. If you let him take the front foot, you have a higher chance against him uh, striking. This is why uh, Darren Till did pretty well against him. Arguably shouldn't have won the fight, but still was extremely competitive when we know that Darren Till is not on that level. It's because Darren Till is low output and on the back foot. That is effective against Stephen Thompson. Shavkat Rahmanov will not be on the back foot, to your point, but I do think he's going to be able to score takedowns. It's only three rounds. Stephen Thompson has to avoid takedowns in a huge cage against Rahmanov for three rounds. It's not out of the question that he can do it, certainly with these odds. Uh, you're not making the wrong call given where you are in this position. I'm going to go with Rahmanov, though. Uh, th- this is not the dog that I would have laid my flag on given Stephen Thompson's age and the fact that oh, he's simply the, declined. It's not the only dog, but plus, plus, plus threes are rare. I feel that. And, karate, and, when, karate, and when karate strikers hit you, they hit different. Rahmanov is karate very durable. Fighter. But, he's, but, but he's... Shut up. He's very durable when... Um, Kung Fu you know, fighting. He, oh my God! When he can see them, when he can see the shots coming and stuff, it's you know the way that I, I, it's it's always something you don't see coming. And Stephen Thompson's pretty good at generating the shot that people don't see coming. You're right. And it could be that Rab Rachmanov also seemed. Oh, I would describe his him as a little bit overconfident against when he went in against Neil. He did some crazy shit in there, and he's awesome. But he's got a little bit of that Hazmat. He has his chutzpah, uh, but he doesn't have Hamzat's limited gas tank. 
He's got a, oh, he's got a better, he's got a better, and he's also not the grappler or the, or the wrestler that Hosman no. is. But yeah, he may have, he may have a higher upside. He is awesome. He, he's, he's going, I think he's going to be tested by one of the greatest strikers, you know, 40 years old now, mm-hmm. but one of the greatest strikers the UFC's ever seen and who's going to come at him in ways that no one has ever come at him before. And for three points, I'll roll the dice on that. And can I just say, Stephen Thompson, unembedded, driving a fucking school bus around, picking children up for the after-school program that his father has at his dojo. Man, that guy's so grounded. I like. He's just such a nice guy. I, I, li- I would like to see him win this matchup. I do have high hopes for uh, Shafkatik. I, I think Shafkat has... He's got real potential. He's got a lot of the raw materials. He's got the elite team. He's got the danger level absolutely everywhere. Um, he's got the durability. He's got the technique. He's got so many things. And and so, you know, for the sake of the division, Shafkat wins this fight for the sake of Stephen Thompson, who's just a teddy bear uh, of, of a lanky fella. Um, you know, I'm going to be rooting for him a little bit, maybe. All right, my next pick. Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is it. for This is Wonder Boy's last ride. Oh, yeah. If he ever has a shot at a title, he wins this fight. He can he can get a title shot, dude. He wins this fight and he says the right things after, which he usually doesn't. He can win, he can he can get that title shot. He can get his shot. And and at welterweight, who's the current champion? Nikolai, I should know this. Leon, Leon motherfucking Edwards. Rocky Edwards. And you know what Leon that's, Edwards that's does? A fun, that's a fun fight. He's a back foot striker, Nikolai. But he's a back foot strider, striker with phenomenal offensive wrestling. Anyway, let, let, let's not get too deep into proverbial matchups um, and the unlikelihood that both these gentlemen win and, and end up facing each other. I'm going to make my pick, Nick, based on what I assume is your strategy. I assume it is to pick dogs, pick big dogs, I, I assume. I, I think you are you might be swinging for the Fergusons and the Lukes of the world, and I don't. it feels a little bit risky to let you get away with a bunch of two- or three-point picks. So I'm going to move this one up the ladder a little bit. I'm... Um, I think the dog has a higher chance in this matchup than in the Shafgat-Thompson matchup. And it's worth the same amount of points, even though the odds are closer. I am going to take from the Machado-Gary-Vincente-Luque matchup. I think I'm going to go with Vincente-Luque. And let me back up into this conclusion that that I've just started with, right? Ian Machado-Gary has shown that um, he can get rocked. He's shown that he can be hittable. These are concerning as you climb the ladder as you go to, to, to the higher level. If the odds in this matchup were, I don't know, minus 160 for Ian Machado, Gary, plus 125 for Vincente Luque, I would absolutely be with Gary. Because Vincente Luque has looked like the ghost of his former self. He's only like 32 years old. He's a young guy, but he's got a tremendous amount of miles on him. This man has been in fights in which he's finished in the late first or second round. He's taken damage, dude, throughout his UFC career, even against like medium-level guys. Like some guys have had real success against him, right? He's a guy that, by the way, has fought Leon Edwards back in 2017 as part of Leon Edwards' current huge streak. He beat Bilal Muhammad back in the day. Um, but there were many matchups in which he's had a lot of trouble early. If I'm not mistaken, Nico Price got the drop on him at some points. Jalen Turner, in his short-notice UFC debut, got the drop on him early in their matchup. I believe Brian Barbarina may have rocked him at some point in their matchup. Derek Katz had a little bit of success against him. I think took his back, if I'm not mistaken, in his short-notice UFC debut back in 2019 and had some success against him. Now, he's come back and he's roughed up Nico Price, and he also... Well, he actually ended up losing to Bilal Muhammad. Um, lost to Joff Neal, right? Like, he's getting hit, and he's not reacting the same way that he used to. He is not the fastest guy at welterweight, and he's facing one of the faster guys. Ian Machado Gary is a fast, fast fighter. Um, he hits pretty hard. 
doesn't have the best durability, though. And I think Yamachado Gary being on the front foot, throwing, tossing that jab out there, tossing that right hand with Vincente Luque ready to counter. And when he counters, he's got a little bit of speed Vincente Luque does. If you look at his Joff Neal matchup before he started getting rocked by Joff Neal, Joff Neal was coming in with, with a single strike, and Vincente Luque countered him quickly and fairly effectively. So, look, Vincente Luque's got a really good ground game. Um, I know these guys have trained together. I know they've, they've spent plenty of time in the gym together. I would imagine that there was a conversation with Ian Gary and the UFC brass, maybe through Ian Gary's marriage, manager, who happens to be his wife. I'd imagine that there were conversations about how that matchup went in the gym because the UFC likes to stack the deck toward those that they want to pick up the win. The reason that Conor McGregor fought Chad Mendes, the only reason he fought Chad Mendes leading up to a title shot for Conor McGregor, the only reason the UFC was willing to risk that is because when the UFC called multiple fighters to see if they were available for that matchup, Chad Mendes said, I've been on the couch. I'm completely out of shape. I don't know if I can make weight. And there were other guys that said, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. I can do this. They picked the guy that isn't in good shape. So if you're telling me that UFC uh, brass aren't aware of how those training matchups went, at least from Gary's side, um, that's crazy talk, right? He must have done pretty well against Vicente Luque. But there's something about the gym where you are going light and you're going pitter-patter and you could touch up uh, you know, some high-level... Like, I've, I've been to America Top Team Coconut Creek years ago, and I touched up some top 10... UFC fighters. Would that have happened in an actual mixed martial arts fight? Probably not in the same way because they would have been going 100% power and that probably would have affected me differently from the way that they were swinging in the gym. Right? It doesn't mean that I would have beat them there. And Ian Gary, he probably had the edge on Vicente Luque in the gym. I'm not as confident that he's going to have the same edge, especially with all this controversy going on with his wife and, and all of this hoopla over it. Right? Ian Gary is off social media. He's blocking all comments on his tweets. He, I saw a headline, and I don't know where they got this. I don't know how it works, but I saw a headline where he's considering skipping the press conference. Dude, that is the last thing that you would expect Ian Machado Gary to do if he's in a good mind state. He's not. This is fucking with him. He has doubts about his current situation. He's got to. He's got to have doubts about all this shit going, on, going around about his wife. Like, it's going to fuck with you mentally, right? All of this negative negative energy, negative press is going to affect you. Um, so based on all of those variables, I'm going to take the ultra-aggressive Vincente Luque. Can he, get, he's, can he get rocked in the first round and then everything start going against him? Yeah. But Machado Gary doesn't have this level of experience. He hasn't fought at the U- in the UFC, at least this level of opposition. And even though he looked good against, uh, you know, the ghost of Neil Magny, I'm not as convinced that he's going to look as good against the ghost of Vicente Luque at these odds. I've got to take the three-point swing, if only to keep you from it. I like it. You're on mute, buddy. I like it. Yeah. You can hear me now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I like it, man. Um, Would you have made this pick, Nikolai? Uh, Would this have been a pick of yours eventually? No. Oh, you motherfucker. Damn it. I think Luke. I think Luke is too broken. Interesting, because um, I, 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 again, I think Luke has a higher chance than uh, Thompson, but we're gonna find out. Both guys might just not win. I am gonna go next with. Listen, I enjoy Josh Emmett. I like watching Josh Emmett fight. I pick against Bryce Mitchell all the time because I think he's a moron. But the fact of the matter is, what Bryce Mitchell did to to Dan Ige, Bryce Mitchell is going to do to Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett's older. He's, I mean, is he, is he 40 now? You know, traditional wrestle boxer. Like yes, he hits hard. I think. 38. Bryce Mitchell can take, Bryce Mitchell can take a shot. And it's only, you know, what we saw with Teporia, the only kind of guy who's um, got the, you have to be an incredibly dynamic, fluid, next-gen mixed martial artist to handle Bryce Mitchell's grappling. That's it, and there's only a cup. There's only a couple of people like that. Yes, Josh Emmett hits hard, 
but Bryce Mitchell's going to get a leg. He's going to get a back. And I just think that Josh Emmett's time has, he, he had his shot. He had his, his taste, you know, he fought Yair. He reached that mountain. I just don't, I don't see a guy with that, with as hard as he punches with his miles getting out of the first round and a half against the grappling machine that is Bryce Mitchell. So here's the thing. I'm looking at Josh Emmett's record. He's been taken down. I believe he's been taken down four times in the UFC. No, Scott Holtzman took him down a few times, um, even though Josh Emmett took Holtzman down more. Um, He's been taken down four times in the UFC in the last, let's say, five years. And three of those were against Ilya Tepuria, who might, might just be the best on the planet. Ilya Tepuria, who smoked Bryce Mitchell, ran through him. The other, the other takedown he gave up was to Dan Ige, who he beat. Dan Ige, who had a very close fight with Bryce Mitchell. In fact, that was Bryce Mitchell's last fight, right? So, here's the thing. On Wait, paper, I don't remember that fight. I don't remember the Dan Ige fight and Bryce Mitchell being very close. Yeah, it was pretty competitive. I think you you picked Dan Ige, and I believe you I believe you even like said afterward that you thought Dan Ige should have won. No, I thought he stri- didn't he sub Dan Ige. Am I out of my mind? Sorry, who, who like, subbed Danny Gay? No, it was a. I'm pretty sure it was a decision. Let me see. Mitchell oh, you're defeats, right. It was. It was. Mitchell it was defeats Ige, and uh, the majority of no, the majority you're right. Of, mm-hmm. He hit you. He hit him hard. He hit him hard and cut him. And then you're you're totally right. I, Always, Nick. Uh, it's uh, like safe to assume. You don't even have to say it. Totally motherfucking right, Nick. Um, the majority of the MMA MMA decisions people picked Mitchell, but you know, five people thought Ige won the fight. It's certainly not out of the question that Ige did more damage in, uh, in either the second or third round. I can't remember. So anyway, here's the thing. Mitchell's taking this fight on 10 days' notice. Oh, that part I didn't know. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. That's, about, that's the thing about research. It just makes you uh, better prepared. And, and so he's taking, <laughs> he's taking this fight on 10 Talk days' notice. <laughs> Couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Um, you're going to give me one on a silver platter like that, Nicolai. I'm going to take it. Mitchell took this fight on 10 days' notice, and Josh Emmett largely has really good takedown defense unless his opponent is Ilya Tapori. Now, Bryce Mitchell is a nasty grappler from top position. He's suffocating from there. He gets good takedowns against decent, uh, decent takedown defenders. So, you know, it's certainly not out of the question that Bryce Mitchell can, uh, can beat a 38-year-old Josh Emmett. Right? This is a weight division at 145 pounds in which you don't want to be the guy who is past 35. This is not where it's going to work well for you. Uh, I'm edging Bryce Mitchell much less confidently because of the circumstances. And if Josh Emmett was a bigger underdog, I would have seriously considered him for two points. But again, Bryce Mitchell has only looked bad in one UFC fight, although the ultimate, you know he did lose on tough as well. Um, he's 16-1. and one. Again, should be should be like 17 or 18-2 and two with tough, but, but the fact is that he's only looked bad in one fight, and John Anna confirmed that he was terribly sick in the fighter interview the day before that fight. So I buy it. I believe that he was in... I don't think he would have beat, beat Taporia anyway, but I buy that he was in bad straits, and that's why he got absolutely smoked. Um, I'm assuming he took this on 10 days' notice, not because he felt like absolute shit, but I wouldn't put it past him. Guy's a complete buffoon. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Casey O'Neill and Arian Lipsky. Arian Lipsky, you know, has the looks of a journey woman by all... By all but in all, in every way, she is sixteen and eight in mixed martial arts, and her UFC record is five and five. Right, so again, she is the the exact exactly what you would refer to as a journey woman. Here's the thing: even though she's five and five, prior to her last two wins, she was three and five in the UFC. 
She lost to Priscilla Cachoeira back in 22. I mean, 2022 wasn't even that long ago. She's undefeated. She's undefeated this year. She's beat JJ Aldridge by decision, beat Melissa Gatto by a, by a fairly competitive decision. Um, I think it's a very different matchup, man. She's facing somebody who, first of all, Lipsky, like her being on this little bit of a winning streak doesn't suggest that she's like suddenly a new version of herself, right? She still makes a lot of the same mistakes. She's still dangerous. She hits incredibly hard. Her Muay Thai is good. She can occasionally catch a fucking, uh, uh, catch a knee bar on, on a Luana Carolina or something, right? Like she has moments on the ground. But she's not good there. She's not good enough there to defend against somebody like Casey O'Neill. And I'll be honest with you, Casey O'Neill around minus 190, minus 200, you bet her and you bet her quickly. That number is going to go wider. I wouldn't be surprised if it's gone wider since I've written these notes with her being around minus 190. Casey O'Neill is a serious prospect. Her losing to Jennifer Maya, which you and I both called, that's not that's not uh, anything to heavily weigh against her in a matchup against Arian Lipsky. Jennifer Maya is solid. She is steady. She's a great kickboxer. She has good takedown defense. She has good uh, from top position. She is excellent everywhere. She is very, very good everywhere. And she's just maybe a step below the elite of this division. And Ariane Lipsky is multiple leagues below the elite of this division. Is it possible that Lipsky catches a big shot? Yeah, but I'm not going to bet on that. Casey O'Neill is a serious prospect for good reason. She took her prospect, Ross. She's going to do what she wants to Ariane Lipsky, and I think these odds uh, make it just an easy bet for me. What you got, yeah, bro, Doc? I, uh, I think that all makes what sense. What you got? I'm... Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with. I mean, he's a minus favorite, which might. God damn it, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, this guy's a minus three hundred favorite, which might be a little much, but I've always been a fan. I'm a fan of, of of Dustin Jacoby's boxing, and I'm a fan of his chin. And he's also, I just think, I think he's got a much higher fight IQ than Menafield, who brings power and is getting a little bit better. But just, Justin Jacoby just finds chins with with precision, um, and I think if I think a guy who went three rounds and lost a split decision to Khalil, to Khalil Roundtree, dealing with that dealing with that power, and a guy who I, I do think has a better fight IQ than Menafield, um, yeah, I feel like if you get a, if you get a, a, a tricky split decision with Khalil Roundtree, you should you should be able to stay out of trouble and outbox for three rounds or find the button on Alonzo Menafield. So I'm going to go with Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby does seem like a button pusher, man. I could see that happening. I agree with you with the pick. This was going to be my next pick. I think it's the best pick you've made thus far. Um, I, I happen to think that Justin Jacoby, again, his kickboxing experience has gone a tremendously long way. There's something to, when I first started training, Nick, I was kind of ragdolling my fellow white belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I had, like, you know, like... I don't know how to put this, bro grappled with a best buddy growing up, and my best buddy was, like, super strong, just, like, powerful, and it was always very competitive, um, and we would just, like, watch watch a fight and, like, try to replicate some of those moves. Um, and I would just toss guys around in the first, you know, many jiu-jitsu classes. And once my coach realized that I'm, like, tossing some of those guys around and that I'm doing pretty well against blue belts, um, you know, he threw me in there with the giant purple belts. And after those giant purple belts, Nick, after they did whatever they wanted to me, um... You know, the smaller purple belts didn't feel so difficult. The really good blue belts who are my size didn't feel so difficult either, right? So so there's something to just going up against an extremely high-level competition and then seeing some regular folks and being like, oh, this is nothing. And that's what Jacoby's experienced in glory. Now, some of the guys in the UFC are obviously like, they're capable of beating top glory fighters in a kickboxing match. I think that on a good day, um, uh, who's that fighter you just mentioned who fought last week? God damn it, I forgot his name. You just mentioned it. 
No memory's not what it used to be, Nick. I get hit in the head a lot. Did you hear about this? Are you getting any kick in the head? Are you on fucking mute answering my question right now? Wait, which... Which um, fighter? Khalil Roundtree, right? Like, Khalil Roundtree's oh, a yeah. guy yes. that can get a huge win over a kickboxer. We've seen it in the UFC. He landed a clean right hand against uh, a glory, uh, a former K1 champion whose name I can't recall at the moment, and, and starst him, right? The guy has serious power. He's got somewhat serious offensive skill standing. And, yeah, he was able to beat Jacoby in a close fight. I do agree with you. I think Jacoby, you know, Alonzo Manifield is not on that level. He's a big swinger. He's a guy that trains under fucking Pat, Pat, uh, uh, Rose's husband, Pat. Names are not my strength, brother. Um, I agree with you. I think Justin Co- Dustin Jacoby is the right pick here. I think throw Justin Dustin Jacoby in there into a parlay. Um, you might parlay Casey O'Neill and Dustin Jacoby. I just think at these odds, Casey O'Neill doesn't need to be parlayed. Like this is a, I think this these odds allow for a straight bet on on O'Neill, who's who's probably going to ragdoll Arian Lipsky, and Jacoby can be in a parlay with someone else. Um, my next pick is going to be. It's going to be in the matchup between Randy Brown and Muslim Salikov. Um, look, Salikov is 39, 40 years old. He's a Sandow Sanchao fighter. Got pretty good takedowns. Not much of a ground game at all. Good takedown defense, though. And he's really dangerous standing. He's low output. And it's only gotten worse as he's gotten older, but he's still just as powerful, right? If you have power in your hands, that is the last thing to go. Your reflexes go, your defense goes, your chin goes, um, your cardio might go. But your power is still going to be there. And he's the kind of guy that even if he's exhausted in rounds two and three, he can still score a knockout in round three against the right opponent. Randy Brown, you know, he's shown that he can be hurt badly at times. And I'm being somewhat careful here. I've recently, you know, I've trained with Randy Brown in the past. I've I've recently, you know, seen him again. He, he visited the after school program uh, in which I'm uh, directing the, the martial arts program. And just a really nice guy. And, you know, I spoke a little bit to him about the matchup. He told me that he was fighting Muslim Salikov and I, you know, and I basically said, like, I like this matchup for you. He's 40 years old, gets tired, um, doesn't have much of a ground game, and is notably shorter than you. I still feel that way. But Salikov, if he lands a clean shot, if he lands a fucking spinning thing, which I know Randy Brown prepared for. He mentioned it to me because we had tentative plans to train leading up to this matchup, but it didn't work out. But he mentioned to me that, like, Muslim throws lots of spinning shit. Um, so the fact that that's not news to him is a good sign. They've been watching tape. They're aware of what they're facing here. Um, I'm going to assume that Randy Brown is going to have the wherewithal to avoid the bomb, but let's face it. Randy Brown looked good in matchups against really, really good offensive strikers and I don't know where a bomb lands. Like he's a, he's got a, a, um, he's got a like better than average chin, but I don't know if it's good enough to take a bomb against Salikov that's clean enough that catches him off guard. And so there's risk here, but I've got to take the 17-5 and five Randy Brown to beat the 19-4 and four Muslim Salikov. I like it. I like how you pick your friends. Anyway, moving on. It's part, part of what the UFC is doing here. Listen, they made an investment, and they had uh, a future star in Cody Garbrand a few years back who gave one of the – you know, one of the all-time great octagon performances against Dominic Cruz um, shocked us. It was, virtu- it was a virtuoso performance. And for whatever reason, poor defense, over-aggressive style, uh, suspect durability, we don't know. But Cody's star fell fast. Um, they've been trying to resuscitate it over the last three years in various ways. Um, and he recently got a win against Trevin Jones. They're bringing him in against an old, I think Kelleher's 40, or he's, he's around there. Um, let me check. You know, he's 24 and 14. 36, so, 37, know, real, something like that. Is that it? 37. So, um, you know, definitely definitely a journeyman. Yep. Hasn't been under the bright lights in exactly the same way that, that Cody has. Um, also, he's not much of a puncher. Um, Cody's weakness is, is 
and he's, he's been in there with a lot of hitters. Um, and also with those weight classes, you can get caught in exchanges by anyone. Um, but is like if Cody's got any durability left, his chin, his chin should be able to eat a couple of shots. Callagher is usually a guy that wins with chokes. You know, he's a good MMA grappler. Um, but Cody's going to have the faster hands. And, you know, he still is a guy who after he, you know, kind of faded out for a while, did knock out Rafael Asuncao, who never, you know, almost never gets finished. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Cody here. I think the, U- the UFC is trying to salvage whatever asset they have left a win here. They could use him and pay him on a future card uh, against an up and comer. Cody Garbrandt is a so great the example. The pick is Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt is a great example of what Dana White privilege can do for you. He is put into matchups at this point in his career against the likes of Trevin Jones and Brian Kelleher into matchups that are quite winnable. He has a clearly, I mean, his chin is not suspect. It is convicted at this point. We've got to be honest, right? Kakar France blew right through him. Pedro Munoz basically blew through him. TJ Dillashaw uh, knocked him out. And and I realized that TJ Dillashaw did it after some hardships and it was a competitive fight. And Cody Garbrandt was undefeated until then. Cody Garbrandt dominated Dominic Cruz and then went on to be two and what, six, two and five in his, in his next seven, seven fights. Um, I, I think picking Cody Garbrandt this early is crazy talk. Brian Gallagher, by the way, has three knockdowns in the UFC. Duke can crack. Dude hits. I know it's not his favorite thing. I know it's not where he's where he's like excels, but he's probably got enough power to hurt Cody Garbrandt. Having said that, Cody Garbrandt didn't get hurt by Ralph Font, who has got enough, you know, crack, but Ralph Font does well against aggressive fighters. If you're being aggressive toward him, Ralph Font's gonna counter you and drop you. If you're on your back foot, his jab and cross aren't necessarily gonna do a whole lot to you. Um I, I I'm going to and can I just say Cody Garbrandt was absolutely on his back foot that entire fight. Wanted nothing with, uh, uh, nothing to do with uh, R- uh, Rob in the um, pocket. I I agree with you on the pick. I just I'm less confident. This is very hard to be confident in a guy like Cody Garbrandt, who's at the absolute tail end of his talent, even though he's like 32 years old, which is crazy to think. And he's fighting a guy who's a good hitter. Uh, he took this on short notice, or maybe he didn't. I thought he took it on short notice. Um, you know, it's, it's just not one that I'm particularly confident in. This was like, you know, near the bottom of my list. So I'm glad you're making this pick now. In fact, this was my least confident pick on this card. Um, so I'm glad you're making it. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Patty Pimblett and Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, I mean, he used to be a buzzsaw. His conditioning was untouchable, right? He He would lose a first round. Pretty often, even to UFC debuting fighters on short notice, he would lose the first round. Sometimes, you know, pretty clearly lose the first round. But eventually, the war of attrition, his conditioning, the fact that he's constantly throwing offense at you, it is overwhelming. It fucks with you, right? Most people can't deal with that stuff. And now, after going something like 13 or 14 wins in a row in the UFC lightweight division, which is unheard of, Khabib probably wouldn't have ended up pulling that off had he kept competing. And there's a reason he retired uh, in that he's... He's smart enough to be risk-averse. This guy's not risk-averse. He's now riding a six-fight losing streak. He got dominated by Justin Gaethje, dominated by Oliveira, dominated by Darius. He was honestly rather beating up Michael Chandler until Michael Chandler landed something that he's never thrown or hit before or after. Um, he got kind of roughed up by Nate Diaz. It's not a goddamn good sign. Now, I know there's a size disparity there. Nate Diaz, despite the fact that he's way past his prime, is still durable, still got a good ground game, and is way bigger than Tony Ferguson. Um, and then the Bobby Green matchup, in which he arguably dropped him in the first round. 
Um, but then ended up getting kind of taken over in the in the latter portion of that fight, and, and Bobby Green's experience kind of came through for him. And then we've got Patty Pimblett, who in his UFC career is now 4-0, right? Luigi Vandermini, Rodrigo Vargas, Jordan Levitt, not at all high-level competition. Jared Gordon, his last fight against, you know, a mid-level guy who's going to be a stern test for an up-and-comer. And Jared Gordon should have won that decision. I mean, he landed every left hook he fucking threw. If Tony Ferguson was the version of himself that fought Michael Chandler, if it was right after the Michael Chandler fight, I would have confidently taken this rider because I think Patty Pimblett is hugely overrated. The guy was honestly losing to Jordan Levitt before he started winning against Jordan Levitt. He just, like, not unlike Tony Ferguson early in his career, he doesn't look good early. He's not the most technical. He doesn't have good defense standing. He's not very technical standing, but he does hit hard and he's fairly fast. Um, look, I'm going to take, as of this moment, I might change my mind. I'm going to take Patty Pimblett to beat Tony Ferguson. But at these odds, and if these odds keep going in the opposite direction, Tony Ferguson has the wherewithal, the skill. He's got a way higher ceiling. And a shadow of Tony Ferguson can probably beat, can, you know, has has a decent chance of beating Patty Pimblett. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm preventing you from, t- from making this a three-pointer just to be safe. I'm going with Pimblett, but I reserve the right to change my pick before the fight starts. And if I do, it'll be for nice. three points. What you got, brother? I won't. Uh, uh, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick the main event. Um, Colby's been, you know, waiting for this last payday for a long time. He's barely fought, and he hasn't really been, you know, outside of the Usman fights. Um, you know, I wouldn't say. I I, I would say that Colby Covington has has been in pursuit of favorable star making matchups. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't always looked good when that's the case. Um, he's older than Leon Edwards by a few years. I think that Leon Edwards, post the Usman fights, is he's a champ. I believe Leon Edwards is a champion that wants to be there and wants to stay there. I think he worked really hard and he waited a long time. I over f- five rounds. I don't think I don't think Colby's chin is great. I don't think his striking um, is very good. I don't think he's as strong as Usman. I think that Leon Edwards is going to be able to either stay on his feet or get back to his feet. Um, if his training camp is going well and he's at the, and he's at the best of his ability, I think this is a very ugly fight for Colby Covington. I think Colby Covington is going to get knocked out in the second round. Fascinating. Um, you think he's going to smoke by him basically, huh? I don't, I don't, I don't think that his strategy is going to be effective. And I think Edwards is going to make him pay for it. And, Leon Edwards is a much better striker than Usman is, a much better one. And I think that the confidence that he gained through those two fights, that I think he's like, I think that they're going to, Kobe's going to do his pressure game. Kobe's going to eat knees. Kobe's going to eat elbows. I think everything, I think Kobe Covington is going to be made to feel pain every inch of this fight. And that if he's able to secure that position, after all of the effort that he's not going to hold that position. And I think, I think out in the open, Leon Edwards tool set is much, much richer than Usman's. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. So here's the thing. Um, I'm going to quickly go through their pluses and minuses, their strength and weaknesses in this matchup. Leon Edwards is going to be the faster fighter. He's got a three inch height advantage, two inch reach advantage. His kicks are nasty and ferocious. He's got the momentum on his side. Dude, he's undefeated in eight years. In 12 fights, nobody has been able to beat him, including Kamaru Usman twice. The same Kamaru Usman who beat Colby Covington twice. Leon Edwards, however, is a backford fighter. 
right? He he will take the back foot. He will relent to a pressure fighter. He doesn't have the southpaw kicking advantage that he's used to against a fellow southpaw, right? So he's not kicking the open side. He's kicking the side that's harder to land on. It's the equivalent of a regular uh, orthodox fighter against an orthodox fighter, righty versus righty. That right kick is, you know, it, it's landable. You can do damage with it, but it's not, it doesn't just, it's not way higher chance of landing, like it is for a southpaw versus an orthodox fighter. And Leon is used to largely fighting orthodox fighters. They both are, to be fair. Um, and here's the thing. He's far from home. And he's fighting at elevation. The last time he fought at elevation was the first Kamaru Usman fight. And after that first competitive round, first competitive round which Leon Edwards won, Leon Edwards honestly just was on the fast track to a loss. Yeah, he landed the head kick. He set it up. He did great in that fifth round. But that was at elevation. And... He was getting exhausted, and he fought. Uh, he slept in a in a in an elevation tent, and he came in two weeks ahead of time. He did all of that, still got tired. Covington, however, he's going to have the cardio advantage. He's going to have the advantage of training, uh, of of uh, having had experience going balls to the wall at elevation. He's going to have the advantage of this being somewhat at elevation. It's not crazy Colorado elevation, but still Las Vegas is some, somewhere around, I think, 2,000 feet above sea level. If you can look that up for me, Nick, quickly. I, I looked it up at some point. Colby Covington is extremely disciplined. He's got a strong, strong mindset. The way that Leon Edwards talks is from the position of an underdog, from the position of a guy who doesn't truly believe in himself sometimes, right? Lately, he's, it's, he's been more confident. Colby Covington, you can knock him out nine times in a row, and that man will speak like he is the king. And just speaking those words out loud has an effect on your own mind. If you're always talking about how weak you are and how terrible shit is, it's only going to reinforce that in your mind and make you weaker mentally, right? It's only going to wear on you more. If you're talking about how incredible you are, even if you don't truly believe it at first, it has the effect of actually making you believe it more than you did when you started to talk that kind of shit. And so mindset advantage goes to Kobe Covington. Home field advantage goes to Kobe Covington. I know this fight is not in Florida, but this is in Vegas, not very far from Florida. This is in front of Donald Trump his quote-unquote favorite president, and Kobe Covington is, our, you know, debatably Donald Trump's favorite fighter, if that means anything, but he's going to have Trump there. He's going to have the support, presumably, of the American crowd, especially with Trump there supporting him. Kobe Covington, you talked about him, you know, having a shaky chin. Incredibly durable, bruh. I'm not saying it's impossible to rock him or to drop him. He's incredibly durable. His cardio allows him to keep coming back after tough moments. But the guy's got knee issues. And this has been talked about for quite a bit. And there's signs of that in that matchup against Masvidal. If Masvidal had the gas tank, he could have absolutely beaten Colby Covington. He's coming off a long layoff. He's been out for, I think, a year and nine months. That is incredible. That's a huge chunk of time to not be competing at a high level. And he's no longer training with the American top team for years now. And his game is not getting better, bro. He's training with MMA masters, and they're fine for mid-level. And it's, also, it's, over two, it's over two years since he fought an elite fighter. You know, Masvidal was coasting on fame. And yeah, that yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm not about to get to that. You know what? His only wins in years are over sub elite competition that are literally, literally a fight or two away from retirement. He has two and two. Kobe Covington is in his last four fights, right? That momentum that I spoke about with Leon Edwards, two and two. Kobe Covington is right. Of his last six wins, Nick, five of them are against retired fighters. Masvidal, retired. Woodley, retired. Lawler. Retired. And all of them he fought, by the way, when they were on their absolute, My, absolute Maya, last Maya, Maya retired. retired. Dung Young Kim 
is retired and never fought again after that loss. RDA is the only non-retired win that he has. And RDA is a 155er. RDA does not do well against pressure fighters. So there was, an, there was a style matchup advantage for Colby Covington there. And, and RDA, RDA won, gave RDA, him a hard time. RDA won two rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. RDA was able to even take Colby Covington down. And you know what Leon Edwards does really well? He's really good at fucking takedowns. The first man to take down Kamaru Usman in their second matchup. Uh, what is it? A year and a half ago. He took him down. Not only did he take him down, he dominated on the ground. He took he took Mount. He took his back. Um, and and so, look, do I think that this being somewhat at elevation could be a factor? Yeah, there, there's a lot of things on paper that if both these guys are 100%, a lot of things favors Colby Covington. His pressure style and the fact that Leon is on his back foot. The fact that Leon is used to face, facing orthodox fighters, but Colby Covington is a southpaw. The fact that Colby Covington is, is going to, with the danger of a takedown, throw big looping shots at him, sometimes looking sloppy. But the speed advantage of Leon, as long as he's in the right mindset, the speed advantage of Leon should allow him to nick him many times on his way in. And then he can worry about the takedown once they're in that clinch position with, with you know, Kobe Covington's age, with his layoff, with his knees being injured, uh, being what they are. I agree with you. I think Leon Edwards at these odds is worth an investment. Um, I, I would make this a, an individual bet. It's too risky to parlay. But I think at these odds, where these two guys are in their careers, I think it's worth investing in uh, in Leon Edwards. And if this fight was in London, I would have I would have probably put half of my life savings onto Leon Edwards. It's just this being in Florida with Trump uh, over there, you know, it, it gets a little murky with a guy who doesn't have the strongest mindset in Leon Edwards. My next pick is going to be in the matchup, Nick, between Martin Budai and Shamil Gaziev. Shamil Gaziev has fast hands. He's an aggressive boxer. He's got zero. Head movement, keeps his hands at his shoulders. He's susceptible to the left hook or the overhand right. Any one that his opponent throws, no matter how little his opponent might be compared to him, his opponent can land. He can be dropped but recovers quickly. He's got a 78.5 reach, and, a, and he's standing at 6'4". Pretty similar dimensions to me in that way, but he does slow down, and he gets tired if a fight goes long. He used to be a volleyball player, right? He started, I think, uh, Abdul Manat Nurmagomedov, Khabib's father, invited him to train with them, trained with them a couple of years, decided he can't do this because he needs to make a living for his family, came back to mixed martial arts, and now he's, I think, 32 years old, making his UFC debut. He trains with Mohamed Makayev's team in the UK. Martin Budai is a proven brute. He's a UFC-level heavyweight for sure, man. He is hard to finish, extremely durable, has good cardio for a giant soft-looking man. He's very physically strong. He will hold you up against that fence and he will just keep pounding on you. He doesn't even need to get a takedown to do damage from there. Um, and yeah, you could touch him up early, especially with fast hands, as we've seen in a, in a couple of those matchups. Um, but I believe in Martin Budai's durability. I believe he's an ability to fight through a tough moment or two and then just start to dominate. And I think if he gets takedowns here, Shamil is going to, uh, Shamil is going to be out of his zone. Here's the thing about Shamil's in mixed martial arts, Nick. They all look the motherfucking same. They're all chubby-looking motherfuckers, bald heads, and beautiful Dagestani-style beards, um, but they're not the best that uh, mixed martial arts has to offer from Dagestan. They all happen to be large men, and large Dagestani fighters aren't all that. Um, I'm going to take Martin Budai here with a little bit of confidence, but again, it's hard to be confident in a heavyweight matchup in a fight in which Martin Budai could just take a clean right hand early, and that could be over. What you got, boy? Nick? So, yeah, yeah, I am here. Um, I guess I'll go with, uh, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I've always liked Andre Touchy-Feely. And, you know, it's, I guess his, his win against uh, against Trezano was, was kind of good, but I haven't, you know, Lucas Almeida just seems like a guy that's hanging out there. I think um, as, a, as a true, true gatekeeper, uh, Andre Feely over the last decade, 
uh, I mean, he's only 33. So I think he's, but he's, he came in early. Um, but he's been a, you know, he's been a pretty, uh, he's been a pretty solid. He's, he's been a journeyman. Has, he has some good. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he has wins over the Dennis Bermudez and he's been around forever. The my, you know, from these names, miles jury, Bill Algio, yep. you know, he loses to, he, he loses to guys, uh, you know, he's got a shot against the, the back half of like the top 15 maybe, but he's really, he's really the guy that you got to beat to get into the top 15. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and I don't think Lucas Almeida is that guy. Yeah, I mean, Lucas Almeida, we saw in his last matchup that dude's got a real hole with his ground game. I think we saw that on Contender Series a couple years ago, too. Dude's got serious power. He's relentless standing. He can't get hit. He can't get dropped, but he'll recover and get back up. And Andre Feely makes, he fucking slips some banana peels on the motherfucking regular, bro. This is the kind of matchup he can lose. But this is late. I don't blame you for making this pick. I agree with you on the pick, if only by a bit. I'm tempted a little bit by the Lucas Almeida plus 155 line, but uh, Andre Feely has the option of takedowns here. He's a good offensive wrestler. Andre Feely has has skills everywhere. It's just about his decision-making. It's about his chin sometimes failing him. And you don't want to have a chin that sometimes fails you against a guy like Luca Almeida. Um, So not confidently, but I, I agree with you on the pick. Yeah, I mean the other. I mean the other thing with him is like, guys from Team Alpha Male are not generally. I don't know if it's been the best gym for him. I think in some ways I'm sure it's great, but Team Alpha Male guys are basically all shaped the same. They're all, they're all built. They're all built like power hobbits. They're all Andre, chads. Andre Philly, on, yeah, Andre he's the Philly built right? like an elf. Yeah. yeah, he's built like a wood elf. Wait, are elves tall and lanky? I didn't know this. Oh, you mean from like yeah. Lord of the Rings elf? Because I feel like elves are not generally not as tall and lanky. No, I, you don't know. You don't play RPG. Outside of Orlando Bloom and shit, you know. You Is don't know Bloom? shit. You 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 look like a wood elf. You don't know shit about elves. I mean, you know what, Nick? I'm going to go ahead and agree with you there. You know what I know something about? Motherfucking mixed martial arts, which is why I'm whooping your ass, boy. Let's go. Oh, please! You were on the ropes for the whole season. Nicolette, whooping your motherfucking ass. Whooping that ass, Nick. So here's the thing. Um, In my next pick, I'm going, I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with the Irina Aldana, Carol Hosa matchup. And here's the thing. Irina Aldana has, and I think they pronounce it Irene Aldana. And John Anik knows his shit when it comes to pronunciation. So I'm going to say Irene Aldana as long as I can remember to. Irene Aldana is a pretty solid fighter, right? She loses to the Amanda Nunes's. She will lose to the Holly Holmes. She'll even lose to, to the Raquel Penningtons of the world, right? But she will beat the Yano Santos, the Macy Chazon. Although, Macy Chazon, man, things were looking a little rough until she got that upkick. Caitlin Vieira should beat. Vanessa Mello should beat, right? So she she beats the Bech Coheas, the Lucy Pudilov. If you look at her record, she beats the girls in the kind of middle to bottom half of the division. She loses to anybody, you know, that's on the upper half of the division that she fights. Caitlin Shukagian. Raquel Pennington, Holly Holm, Amanda Nunes, best of all time, right? Carol Hosa is kind of in that mid-range. She's kind of right on the border of where Aldana can either win or lose, and quite frankly, her being a plus-170 underdog is enticing. She is a high-output fighter. She has pretty decent takedowns. She can be taken down, don't get me wrong. She can be controlled by a really good wrestler, as we saw with Sarah McMahon, but... And Norma Dumana, somebody who outstruck her at a distance and just kept jabbing her, and Carol Hosa couldn't do a whole lot. Although I think, if I remember correctly, that was a close decision. Um, it's concerning that she had a close decision against Yana Santos. Don't get me wrong. Both these girls are not at their best, it seems like, right now. But a plus 170 after Irene Aldana showed up the way that she did against Amanda Nunes after she realized that she will never be champion as long as there's a genuine elite fighter at the top of this division. Um, I wonder where her confidence is. I wonder if she can make make the mental adjustments, if nothing else, um, to come back and be as embarrassed as she was and look as embarrassed as she did. 
and to come back here in this matchup and do well, largely forgotten about the MMA world because she just looks so terrible in that last matchup. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Carol Jose here at plus 170 for two points because I think this will be a close matchup, probably a close decision, and you got to ride with the dog in that case. So your choice there was Rosa. What you got, buddy boy? No wait. Who- are you on mute, goddamn? Wait, who did you who who you who you take in that one? I'm taking Carol Hosa for two points. Wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'll go with the co I'll go with the co main event. I think um, listen, Roy Val is super super exciting. You know, one th- like one thing that's tricky is Pantoja. Pantoja is so that guy's really smart. And he, he's good everywhere, and he's better in rematches. And Royval was a surprise for a little while. You know, he, he's, it was, he was a surprise. He surprised a lot of guys. He kind of came out of nowhere. He's junior. He was new. He looked unassuming. Um, and he caught dudes, you know. Um, he didn't catch, you know, Pantoja, but he, he has caught guys. But, like, I think someone's chances the second time against this champion diminish. And I, for all his submission, for all his submission skills, I, I think Pantoja worked too hard to get here and is, is too savvy. I think, I think he can win this fight, um, largely keeping the, keeping it positionally where he'd like to. Um, I think he, I think he's the better striker. Um, like Yes, he could make a mistake, but I think it's the grap. I think it's the grappler's version of the puncher's chance. Like I think he's just. A, I think he's just a better mixed martial artist all around. I don't think that Roy Val is as dangerous to him as some people are suggesting. So here's the thing: the first fight was it at uh, UFC Apex, right? No crowd, and I feel like that probably plays into the advantage of Pantoja. The seasoned veteran, he's calm. He doesn't necessarily feed off the crowd in the same way that Roy Val would. Um, Roy Val is extremely dangerous. And granted, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he finished Pantoja, right? Um, no, I'm sorry, he finished Roy Val. He did finish Roy Val in the second round with a rear naked choke. So there's some concerns there. Do I think that Pantoja can control a decent portion of this matchup? Yeah, I do. Um, do I think that Roy Val is worth a two-point rider in a five-round fight in which... He can legitimately finish him in the fourth or fifth round where Royval will be absolutely fresh without a hint of being tired. Pantoja looked good in that five-rounder against Moreno, but I don't know if I can rely on him at even some level of elevation to be fresh enough. Oh, to be fair, he did win the title in Nevada, in Las Vegas, in the same arena. Um, Wait, so, what are yeah. you ta- Hang on, what are you talking about? I don't think Royval's ever seen a round three. Yeah, but how do you know the guy's never fought? Because the guy's never fought out of round two. Because he trains at elevation, he fights nonstop at extremely high paces. I've never seen him tired, short notice or not. I've never seen him tired. But we, and the reason sure, that he wins—we've never seen him in a round three. How can you say that about I'll, a five? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because you know why we haven't seen him in a round three. And you're right; he doesn't have the experience late in a fight. I get that. The reason we haven't seen him in round three is because he fucking overwhelms people to the point that they cannot hang with him anymore because he throws so much at them. And I know that Pantoja is too mature and too seasoned to necessarily fall for that. But do I think the Roy Val can surprise him with a head kick, a spinning, ba- a spinning back elbow, something absolutely wild as the notably bigger man? Also, yeah, I'm slightly wrong. What he did, he did against Bont- 
He did go to a decision against Bonserine and Kenny. Those God damn it, two, Nick. His two, his two UFC fights. Uh, oh, no, Casey Kenny was an LFA. You're as, you're as reliable for misinformation as Kobe Covington's favorite president. God damn it. No, he's got one. He's got one. No, I corrected myself when I saw it. He's got mm-hmm. one UFC fight that has gone into the third round. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, and again, to be fair, he did have that injury against Brandon Moreno, but the one fighter that's actually finished him, actually like finished him, finished him, was the guy that he's fighting this weekend. And honestly, it was only two years ago. So I, two and a half years ago. So I get where you're coming from. I, th- I think there's reason to be somewhat confident uh, in Pantoja. I just feel like. And his points. wins and his wins since then aren't that great. Bontarine, Matchnell, and Matthias Nikolau. I mean that Nikolau one I guess was cool, and that was the most recent that got Nikolau, him. Nikolau Nikolau but... is fucking legit, bro. That's a win. That's yeah, a great that's a win. win. But the the other two wins are not that. But Bon Bontarin is a good win, bro. I... Bontarin's yeah, a good bon, fighter, that, man. It was three three years ago, three a little over three years ago was the Kai Kara France win. Yeah. Dude, he finished Kakara Friends before Kakara Friends went on to be like a championship level competitor, right? So, look, Roy Val, I know he got finished last time. Is it possible this time? Yeah, I think he'll be more prepared for it. I think he's more seasoned. He's more experienced. Do you know? Uh, do you know what I saw in uh, episode one of Embedded? Part of what gives me confidence in his cardio. Nick Embedded recorded him doing a ten mile motherfucking run. He just did a ten mile run at some level of elevation, and he looked like he had just taken a four minute walk at the end of it, bruh. Dude is conditioned every time he gets up, every time they're standing, every time he gets a weird position or opportunity on the ground. Um, Pantoja is going to be in danger. And I know that Pantoja finished him before, but for the two points, I would have taken I would have taken the risk on Brandon Royval. Having said that, Pantoja, the way that he looked against Moreno, man, there's good reason to be confident in that guy, especially with the way that Davis and Figueroa has looked since being so competitive and also getting dominated at points by Moreno. Pantoja kind of dominated Moreno at many points of that matchup. So so I, I hear where you're coming from. There's good reason to be confident in Pantoja. Um, I would have taken the rider on Royval. The last one is Tagir Olambeko versus Curdy, Cody Durden. Here's the thing. Tagir is a guy that I have faded in the past with success, right? He's, again, he's one of these Dagestani guys who trains under Khabib and the crew there. You know, a lot of people have a big belief in anybody with a last name like his who is part of that crew, especially in the lower weight classes. I think there's good reason to. And especially with his, you know, he's got a pretty impressive look on the record. I believe I faded him against Tim Elliott. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and and this is a matchup in which I, I'm open to fading him, especially at these odds. Cody Durden being plus 150. Cody Durden applies relentless, nonstop, incredible pressure. And yeah, he gets tired, but he keeps fighting through tired. He's got really good wrestling. Tagiro Mecca is not necessarily going to be the better wrestler here. If he can get takedowns, can he do it? Yeah. Can he catch Cody Durden while Cody Durden is is going in for a takedown with a guillotine or something? He can. Um, but Cody Durden's pressure, his his experience at this point, him coming through as an underdog so many times in the UFC, bro. Um, I'm going to take Cody Durden for the for the extra point. I think it's worth the risk. I think well, that freaks me out a little bit. Good job. Um, I think. What you got, buddy? That's it. I think that, we're out of fighters. It. 14 fights, Nick. We picked 14 fights. And can I just say, I did a damn good job of it. Am I saying that I picked everyone right? No. But did I break these down well? You damn motherfucking well. Believe it. Let's go, Nick. Yeah, you, and you ended up taking more dog picks than I did, I think. I did, you know what it is, Nick? I figure, like, either the last event or two are going to be, like, nip-tuck, and you gain three or four points, and, and, and we're, like, neck and neck, or I'm just going to run away with it. One or the other, I'm ready for the- it, Nikolai. Well, this is the last event of the year, right? Wait, are you serious? You're telling me the UFC doesn't have shit scheduled for the rest of this year? Let me quickly look up yeah, topology. Like, 
there's only two weeks left in the year. Yeah, but I'm surprised they're taking that much off. Maybe you're right. No, this this is it. You're Octagon gonna, yeah, 50. Oh, this year. is it. Oh, Nick. I If I would have known that, maybe I wouldn't have taken as many risks. You know what I'm saying? But we do have Johnny Walker versus uh, Magomed on Kalai the day after my birthday, Nikolai. That'll be fun. That'll be exciting. That's weird. You kind of look like the child of those two fighters. Anyway, on that note... Uh, I am I am about the I height of I am I, literally like the I, height of those two fighters. I have a body that makes those two fighters seem obese. And uh, and and Nikolai, let's face it, martial arts skill wise, uh, just a different league, just a different league. No, I, I do yeah, think gotta, I, I do think Ankalaev is probably grand, better than you got me. Got a grand slam, a grand slam body, a fucking grand slam breakfast body. On that, uh, one, let's um, go. Yeah, I have all day or day. Another year in the books. Let's see how it shakes out. Maybe let's, we'll do a recap episode. I, but, I think uh, I think we got to do an episode in which in which the winner gets to boast. Or Nick, like there's a decent chance that we might tie at the end of this one, given all the risks I took, um, and that could be interesting too. So very curious, Nick. And you know yeah. that if if the matchup has a championship fight has a draw, you know who walks away with the title, the motherfucking champ. That's all I've got, I know my wife tells me that all the time. I don't know how I'm still right. married or how we're still doing this. How is anybody still willing to communicate with me in any way whatsoever? That's a whole nother podcast. It must be the uh, the, the bod that makes Ankalaev seem obese. You see I'm these abs? Dead. No, you haven't. I never take my shirt off for good reason. I can make that claim, but never have to prove it. I've got to go. Uh,